0: Let's pray. Holy Spirit, inspire us to begin every story with your word, that it might be a story of salvation. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. Here now our reading from Acts. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. At noon, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he did. Meanwhile, an Ethiopian man was on his way home from Jerusalem, where he had come to worship. He was a eunuch and an official responsible for the entire treasury of Candace. Candace is the title given to the Ethiopian queen. He was reading the prophet Isaiah while sitting in his carriage. The Spirit told Philip, approach this carriage and stay with it. Running up to the carriage, Philip heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you really understand what you're reading? The man replied, Without someone to guide me, how could I? Then he invited Philip to climb up and sit with him. This was the passage of Scripture that he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away from him. Who can tell the story of his descendants because his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, about whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or someone else? Starting with that passage, Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. As they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, water, what would keep me from being baptized? He ordered that the carriage halt, both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water where Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Lord's spirit suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself in Azotus. He traveled through that area, preaching the good news in all the cities until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of God. Who can tell the story? Isaiah wonders in this passage that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading. Who can tell the story of this person who, because he was led like a lamb to slaughter, has no descendants to remember him? It's an interesting question, one that could be asked of any number of people. Any number of people who may die in silent humiliation, both figuratively and literally, without justice, A whole host of people come to mind for me. The Ethiopian eunuch could have easily fallen into this category, but for the witness of a man who had been led by an angel and inspired by the Holy Spirit, a man who knew how to tell the story. The Ethiopian eunuch is a man who has social standing. He's not without influence He has stewardship of all of the Ethiopian queen's treasury. He is at the center of political power, yet he remained outside the temple. He was considered an outcast of Israel. That's the subtitle of this particular section of scripture in the book of Acts. It's called Philip's Mission to the Outcasts of Israel. It begins just after the disciple Stephen was stoned to death for preaching the gospel And we learn that the church in Jerusalem is being severely persecuted and that the Pharisee Saul is hauling people out of their homes, men and women, and throwing them into prison. He's wreaking havoc. Understandably, many believers have scattered from Jerusalem, Philip included. He fled Jerusalem and went to Samaria. Now, if you remember, at the time that this story would have occurred, The relationship between Samaria and Israel was quite antagonistic. It was common for Israelites to go way out of their way to avoid traveling through Samaria, an area filled with what they would have considered outcasts. But Philip goes there and preaches the gospel. He casts out demons, he heals many, so that many Samaritans come to believe and are baptized because they hear the story of their salvation. Now, at the direction of an angel, the Lord, at the direction of the angel of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, and y'all, I didn't have time to really research how many times this has occurred in Scripture where both an angel of the Lord and the Holy Spirit have directed someone to take a particular action, but this is clearly a divine imperative, clearly, heavenly intervention. Philip finds himself seated alongside an Ethiopian eunuch, another outcast of Israel, pondering the meaning of scripture. The Ethiopian is cast out on several fronts. First of all, as an Ethiopian, he would have been geographically and perhaps ethnically excluded. And then as a eunuch, even after a long and very difficult pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem, just so he could worship the Lord in the temple, because of his sexual condition as someone who has been castrated, he's not allowed to enter the temple for worship. So through no fault of his own, it's not for lack of effort or lack of devotion, this man is forbidden full participation in his community of faith. I wonder if it was this experience, this experience of feeling excluded that inspired the Ethiopian as he returned home from Jerusalem to turn to Isaiah's words about another outcast, one who would be led to the slaughter. Maybe his exclusion from the temple has prompted a theological crisis for him. Maybe he is desperate to find someone who can tell the story of God's salvation in such a way that he finds his own story located inside rather than outside. I get it. I've wrestled with this myself. I was raised in a Christian family. I longed to know God. I spent a lot of time in my 20s and my 30s, especially searching for a church that would welcome me into its inner temple that would give me full access. But I kept ending up in communities of faith that drew firm boundaries around the inner sanctuary. Women, I was told, were not allowed full participation. It's a reality that continues to limit women's access in many denominations, even in the United Methodist Church, which has ordained women Since it was formed in 1968 when the Methodist Church and the Evangelical United Brethren Church merged, even our church continues to house views of women clergy that are less than favorable. There's a video that's been circulating on social media that several people have brought to my attention. I want to play just a couple of minutes of this video for you. Hi honey, how's my girlfriend? I can't concentrate on your sermon because you're so pretty. You do a really good job, but I think scripture is more meaningful if read with a male voice. We told the district superintendent we already took our turn at accepting a woman pastor, and now it is someone else's turn. This is our little girl preacher. You are looking fat. Don't you think that dress is a little too short? Women shouldn't wear pants. (laughs) So let me get this straight. We don't want to see her legs, but she shouldn't wear pants. That's a great double bind you got going on there. I guess you should wear the Amish dresses all the way to the floor. We knew we were in trouble with the conference, so we figured the worst they could send us was a black female liberal lesbian Yankee. At least you're not all that. (laughs) Wow. You're going to hell, you know. God does not permit women to preach. It's in the Bible. Along with stoning your sons if they disobey, that's also in the Bible. I disobeyed that. My son's grateful. (coughs) Well, you don't pray as well as the former pastor, but you sure are prettier. No offense to you, but when you leave, we are asking for a male pastor. We need the male presence. Not that we don't like women pastors, but we've had two in the last five appointments. Women are taking over the church. Most of our churches would die if women weren't working in the church. When you walked in for the introductory visit, we thought you were the pastor's wife and kept looking for the pastor. The wedding service was so personal and so religious. You put God in the service, but you could never be my pastor because you're a woman and we know that God doesn't want women to be pastors. I didn't watch this video the first couple of times that it was brought to my attention. I think I wanted to just completely dismiss it, not think about it. But this past week, I finally watched it. My response after watching it to the person who brought it to my attention this time was, I wanted to laugh, but it actually made me cry. And it did. Y'all, it only gets worse. This is a seven and a half minute video that I edited down to less than three minutes. I cut out the most extreme examples because they embarrassed me. Comments that, thankfully, I have personally been spared. I have been told, as a woman, that I was not authorized to preach or teach men, and that if I didn't understand Scripture in the same way that they did, rightly divided, then I was likely going to hell. And I've heard a few comments related to my appearance which I hesitate to tell y'all because I really appreciate a good compliment. (laughs) Don't want to discourage you. In all of my appointments, I have been one of an all-female pastoral staff when I got there. And in each case, I have heard concerns expressed by both men and women about my ability to be a pastor to a man. Some people wonder why at least one of the pastoral staff is not male, since clearly only a man can be an effective pastor to a man. And on one level, I get it. On one level, I completely understand this. I mean, there are things that happen in our lives. There are challenges that we face when it might be more comfortable talking about those things with someone of the same gender. But oddly, I have never heard that same concern expressed for the women of a congregation with exclusively male pastors. I will say that in my experience, at least, this has been largely a concern that was expressed by a very small minority. Most people in all of the congregations that I have been appointed to, practically all of you have been extremely receptive to me as their pastor, something for which I am deeply grateful because I love you and I consider it a great honor to be your pastor. Still, because of how so many in other denominations tell the story of women within the context of our faith, the primary story that I heard growing up, up, I struggled for a long time to locate my narrative fully within God's story. And y'all, it is humiliating. When you are told that there's something about you, something that you have absolutely no power to change, something about the way that God created you that makes it impossible for you to be gathered fully into the fold that makes it impossible for you to share your gifts in fullness with the community, it causes, well, at least it caused me to shrink inside. I died a little bit from humiliation every time I heard that story. I was desperate to find someone who could tell the story of God so that it was good news to me so that my story was located firmly and squarely within the story of God's salvation. And thank the good Lord Jesus, God has sent, the Holy Spirit has sent some very inspired storytellers to come alongside me. First, I found Bracken United Methodist Church. Y'all, I had been searching for a church for a very long time, and I had become so discouraged and exhausted from visiting churches only to hear over and over and over again the same not good news for women. At that point, I had two daughters, and I did not want them to grow up hearing that they had been born, that they had been created just shy of wholly acceptable to God. So finally, I was literally going through the yellow pages For those of you who are younger here in the congregation, that is an ancient yellow scroll that we used to look up the phone numbers of businesses and institutions. So I was literally going through the yellow pages, calling churches and asking them, do you allow women to preach? Luckily, Bracken comes really early in the alphabet, so it did not take me too terribly long to find that church. And then Pastor Mickey McCandless, who's the lead pastor of what became our home church, when I asked him about the status of women in Scripture, he came alongside me and he helped me understand, ponder the meaning of Scripture, especially those passages in the Bible that were related to women. And starting with Scripture, he helped me understand, given its cultural and historical context, that I was not excluded And he helped me identify and he affirmed my gifts and he helped me to identify my call to ministry. So it's his fault. He's the reason I'm a pastor. I can give you his information if you want to lodge a formal complaint. Second, when I was appointed to Manchac United Methodist Church, there was an established men's Bible study there that met weekly that had historically been led by the associate pastor who prior to me was a male. When I arrived there, the group was asked if they would be willing to have a female pastor lead them. I was told later that the discussion went something like this. Well, you know, if it was our daughter being sent to a church and they, and a men's group there was asked if she could lead them, we would want, we would hope that they would receive her very warmly. So we gave it a shot. And I won't lie, it was a little bit awkward at first. On my part, I still carried alongside me those insecurities from years of fundamentalist theology that had ingrained somewhere deep inside of me this notion that maybe I wasn't fit to lead this group of men. But after five weeks, or five years, excuse me, after five years of weekly gathering with these men, beginning each week with scripture, we all began to tell our stories, to share our hearts and our lives with each other, And our stories became intertwined, became this beautiful tapestry of God's grace, and I experienced salvation, deep healing, because of their reception of me, their acceptance of me as their pastor. And then third, and this just happened a few weeks ago, the men's group here at Westlake United Methodist Church that meets... In the mornings on Thursday, the Bob Group, Band of Brothers, Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning for all you who want to join, uh, they presented me with a gift. They told me that they had watched me navigate some difficult situations over the past year. They'd watched me lead our church through some difficult times and that it hadn't gone unnoticed by them and that they appreciated my leadership and my faithfulness the faithfulness that they saw me express each week in worship on Sunday when i preached barefoot and they said that they literally wanted to wash my feet which scared me at first but then they presented me with this very kind card and an extremely generous gift certificate to a nail salon to get pedicures <laughs> it was really yeah it was great They know how to tell the story. The most powerful storytellers, the ones who can tell the story of God's salvation to those who are on the margins, most effectively are those who are at the center of power and privilege. Part of what made these experiences so deeply healing and redemptive for me was the fact that it was men who told those stories. It was the fact that they told stories to me that had been used in the past to exclude me. And they told these stories with such grace that my own story was woven securely and fully into not only God's story, but their stories. I sometimes wonder if there is any greater feeling than a deep assurance that you have been fully accepted, that you belong Starting with scripture, Philip proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ to the Ethiopian eunuch. He told the story in such a way that the Ethiopian story was woven into God's story of salvation. And he was so transformed, so filled with joy. At the very first opportunity, he said, look, there's some water. What's to prevent me from getting baptized? I always envision a little puddle on the side of the road, but it had to have been more than that because they were fully immersed. And as the Ethiopian eunuch celebrated what he had come to know through the story that Philip told, that he was a child of God, that he was worthy of full inclusion in Christ's church, he submerged himself in the healing waters of baptism the passage the Ethiopian was reading when Philip met him leads just a couple chapters later to a promise that God makes, a promise God makes to both the foreigner and the eunuch. He names both groups specifically that God will bring them to God's holy mountain and make them joyful inside God's house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Thus says the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares Isaiah. Y'all, there are a lot of people who desperately need to hear someone come alongside them and tell the story of God's salvation in such a way that they are included. We've got to learn to tell the story. We have to have the courage to tell the story. We have to have the willingness to be prompted by the Holy Spirit and come alongside those who feel excluded from our church. I pray that we would all tell the story of God's grace, so inspired with joy that it draws all people into God's house of prayer. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we are so grateful for your radical and inclusive love, your reckless love that calls all people into your house, that redeems all people God, we pray that as we hear your story, we would begin to hear it always as a story of great good news, a story of salvation, and that we would be able to tell it so that others hear it too. As we offer back to you out of all that you have given us, we pray, God, that you would inspire us to be generous and that you would bless our offering, you would multiply it, and you would give us the wisdom to know how best to use it so that all people would hear their story as a story of salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen.